Located at 459 Forest Avenue is the Buffalo History Museum's Resource Center. This sprawling warehouse is home to over 100,000 historical objects that the museum has collected over its century and a half of existence. Among these many artifacts are the remnants of a rarely seen flag. It's weathered linen is dyed a stunning Kelly green and embroidered with a golden harp at its center. The flag is 155 years old, fashioned in support of an often forgotten event in Buffalo's past, the Fenian invasion of Canada. Since the mid-19th century, Buffalo's had a notably high Irish population. Today, in 2021, 12% or over 33,000 city residents identify as having Irish ancestry. Spurred to emigrate by the disastrous Irish potato famine that began in 1845, millions of Ireland's people crossed the Atlantic and landed in cities along America's East Coast. During this period, Buffalo was faring much better than Ireland, experiencing booms in both the economy and the population, the likes of which the area had never seen. Buffalo's prosperity made it a favorable choice for the newly arrived Irish, the very immigrants from which many of us are descended. In the years following their emigration to America, many Irish assimilated to American ways. They made huge impacts on American cities, building infrastructure, joining police forces, and joining the military. By the beginning of the American Civil War in 1861, hundreds of thousands of Irish immigrants were serving as soldiers in both the Union and the Confederate armies. Now, despite the appearance of American assimilation, the majority of Irish immigrants were not quick to forget the trials of their homeland. At the time of the Civil War, Ireland was still under British rule, a situation that they saw as being less than ideal. This British rule of Ireland had persisted since the 12th century and had been highly injurious to the Irish people. Britain had damaged the small island with tumultuous rulers, Catholic persecution, land privatization, and high rents. Rebellions against British rule had often been attempted most notably the failed rebellion of 1848. While these early rebellions were deemed unsuccessful, they resulted in the creation of Irish Republican organizations such as the Fenian Brotherhood. Now, it's widely believed that the term Fenian is derived from the stories of legendary Irish warrior Fian McCool, as Fenian is the English translation of Fianna, the title of Fian's Loyal Warriors. Irish Republican and leading Fenian John O'Leary was a first-hand witness to the correlation of British rule and Fenianism, saying in 1896, quote, if the English had not come to Ireland, and if they had not stayed there and done all the evil so many of them now allow, and they've been doing all along, then there would be no Fenianism.
given the large population of Irish in Buffalo, it wasn't long before Fenianism began to take root in Western New York. Between 1841 and 1860, 1.7 million people left Ireland for the United States. By 1855, 18% of heads of households in Buffalo were Irish born. And though the city was a hotbed for Irish Republican ideas, it was not the only U.S. city where Fenianism was seen. Essentially, the zeal for Irish independence from Britain was present in any major city where Irish immigrants had landed, including Chicago, Indianapolis, and New York City. In 1863, the Fenian Constitution was authored at the first Fenian Congress held in Chicago. There, the Fenian leaders pledged their allegiance to the United States. By the early spring of 1866, Fenian officials were confident that the next step for their growing organization was to stage an invasion of British-controlled Canada. They felt certain that this was the best way to go about securing Ireland's freedom from Britain. They would essentially hold Canada hostage. Now that a next step had been decided, details needed to be ironed out including the ever-important when and where of the invasion. After much deliberation, a time and a place was chosen. The invasion would launch from Buffalo, New York, specifically its Black Rock neighborhood into Fort Erie, Ontario, in the early hours of June 1st, 1866. This location was quite strategic as Buffalo would provide the Fenians with multiple advantages over their enemy. Buffalo was a large city at the time with a population of roughly 100,000 people. Therefore, the arrival of hundreds of men would be noticed much less than if they were to gather in, say, a small town or a rural area. And while Buffalo had the highest population of resident Fenians among all of the participating border cities, it was still expected that hundreds of men supporting the Fenian cause would travel to the city from different regions all over the country. Now, in addition to its size, Buffalo was chosen for its strategic geographic location, something of a theme throughout the city's history. The positioning of its Black Rock neighborhood along the banks of the Niagara River allowed for quick entry into Canada. Furthermore, Buffalo was a hotbed of harbor trade in the 19th century, which would allow the Fenians to easily conceal their movements from both Canadian and American forces who may have otherwise tried to stop them. The landing spot of the Fenian forces was carefully calculated as well, there were no British or Canadian forces located within 50 miles of Fort Erie, Ontario. Therefore, invading forces would be able to easily cover ground before any authorities even knew of their arrival. Additionally, a crucial Canadian trading spot, the Welland Canal, was located nearby, as were numerous railways. Destruction of these railways, as well as the canal, would cripple Canadian trade and divert its goods to Buffalo. Now, 
At this point, U.S. officials were hearing murmurs of the armed invasion, but couldn't pinpoint exactly when or where it would occur. So they were unprepared when the Fenians began crossing the Niagara River in the late hours of May 31st, 1866. We should also point out that the federal government and President Andrew Johnson weren't exactly in a hurry to aid the British after they supported the Confederacy during the Civil War. Immediately prior to the invasion, Fenian forces gathered at Pratt's Furnace in Black Rock, also known as the Buffalo Iron and Nail Company. There, they boarded boats to carry them across the Niagara River and into Canada. Now, the boats had been acquired in a bit of a curious manner. One of the Fenians actually posed as a factory owner looking to transport his employees to Grand Island for a company picnic. But regardless of how strangely they were acquired, the boats were boarded and set off for Fort Erie in the early hours of June 1st. Now, the invaders probably would have appeared as being quite disheveled to any onlookers. Their outfits made them look somewhat less than official. Instead of any sort of cohesive uniform, they were dressed either in plain clothes or Civil War uniforms, representing both the Union as well as the Confederacy. If you were able to see past this, the group was surprisingly qualified. The invasion was led by former Union Army Commander John O'Neill, who is quoted as having said, The governing passion of my life, apart from my duty to God, is to be at the head of an Irish army battling against England for Ireland's rights. So the location had been chosen, the men gathered and trained, transportation secured, and it was finally time for the Fenian invasion of Canada to begin. The first set of invading forces was a group of about 200 men from the 17th Kentucky Fenian Regiment, led by Lieutenant Colonel George Owen Starr. After arriving at Fort Erie, the men laid the groundwork for the main invasion, destroying telegraph lines and railroads in order to prevent Canadian communications. A few short hours later, Colonel John O'Neill led close to a thousand men to join Colonel Starr. These forces consisted of men from multiple Fenian organizations, including from Buffalo, Indiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Ohio. Immediately upon their arrival in Fort Erie, the Fenian forces began to gather rations, including food and horses. They had come prepared with their own weapons and extra ammunition. Additionally, local villagers offered the Fenians alcohol, but they were told not to accept the drinks by Fenian John O'Keefe. When asked about the invasion in the years following, O'Keefe is recorded as saying, quote, Knowing what was coming, I wanted sober men. From the beginning, the Fenian attack was 
touch and go. Dozens of Colonel O'Neill's forces deserted the cause on the first day of his invasion, most likely because they realized the futility of their mission. However, things began to look up for the Fenians in the afternoon of June 1st, when approximately 200 additional men arrived from Buffalo, as United States authorities had not yet stopped men from crossing into Fort Erie. When Canadian authorities finally learned of the invasion, they sent out two groups, the 13th Infantry and the Reserve Regiment, the Queen's Own Rifles, to quash the Fenians. These forces came in two different directions, Port Colburn and Chippewa, in an attempt to intercept the Fenians before they had a chance to cover any additional ground. While the Canadians greatly outnumbered the Fenians, they lacked any real experience. For many of them, the action was the first they'd ever seen. This inexperience proved detrimental to the Canadians in the initial battle, as the battle-hardened Fenians easily defeated the two regiments, causing as many as 50 casualties. This surprising Irish victory further ignited Fenian sentiments at home and abroad. Given the battle's close proximity to Buffalo, news of Irish victory traveled quickly, and soon hundreds of Irish immigrants began arriving in Buffalo from around the nation in order to join the Fenian cause. Fenian leader Colonel John O'Neill understood that he immediately had to plan his troops' next move. O'Neill ordered his men to return to Fort Erie to regroup and occupy the area. Though Canadian forces were waiting for the Fenians' return, this time it was them who were greatly outnumbered by the newly replenished forces. A short battle ensued and the Fenians claimed victory yet again. Now, despite their two surprising victories over the Canadians, the luck of the Irish was about to run out. Having finally caught on to the movements of the Fenians, the U.S. government deployed the USS Michigan to stop any further reinforcements from reaching the Canadian border. And without these vital reinforcements, O'Neill and his men were forced to surrender, thus unceremoniously ending their invasion. The Fenians then headed back to Buffalo where nearly 400 of them were intercepted by American authorities. These men were kept prisoner for days aboard the Michigan before being released with no charges pressed against them. Not all the Fenians escaped scot-free, however. Leaders such as John O'Neill and his officers were charged with violating America's neutrality laws against Canada, a serious offense. News of the capture spread throughout Buffalo like wildfire, attracting the attention of lawyers and future President Grover Cleveland. Cleveland was so taken with the Fenian cause that he agreed to defend the men pro bono, and eventually all charges against the Fenian officers were dropped. Despite their failure to capture Canada, the Fenians' small victories against the British garnered incredible amounts of support for Irish independence. In fact, their victory was the first Irish victory against British forces since 1745. 
no small feat in the eyes of Irish supporters. Now, though the Fenian invasion didn't achieve its goals fully, it did prompt long-lasting effects in both Canada and Ireland. Following the invasion, many Canadians were uneasy with the knowledge that British forces could not successfully protect them from invaders. An emotion was made for Canadian independence. On July 1st, 1867, just a year after the Fenian invasion, the Canadian Confederation was signed. This worked to grant Canada more independence from Britain. Additionally, many argue that the 1866 Fenian invasion of Canada helped create the momentum that would lead Ireland to finally gaining independence from England in 1937. The Buffalo History Museum receives operating support from Erie County, the City of Buffalo, the New York State Council on the Arts, with the support of Governor Kathy Hochul and the New York State Legislature. Additional support is provided by M&T Bank and from our donors, members, and friends. Today's story was researched and written by Madison McCafferty and produced with support of our staff and Erie County historian, Doug Kohler. My name's Anthony Greco, and we'll be back in two weeks with another tale from Western New York history. So until then, take care.